Hey guys, it's Gail. This is Bloodsucker Special Edition 7. It involves interviews with the Hillywood players, Bella Colon Project, and at the end, a nice long one with John Granger. If you missed it, yesterday we released Bloodsucker Special Edition 7, which involved interviews with Larry, Car La Larry Carroll of MTV, Ileana Kadushin, who is the voice of Bella and the rest of the characters in the books, and also Mitch Hansen and Bella rocks. All right, so check it out. Bye. This is Maddie again. We're here with the Hollywood players who are famous in the Twilight community for their Twilight parody. And um, I'd like them all to introduce themselves. I'm Jacob Jost and I play Edward Cullen. I'm Hilly Hindi and I play Bella Swan. My name is Drew Lorenz and I play Jasper Hale. And I'm Hannah Hindi and I play Alice Cullen. I hope you guys, like, it's hard for you guys to understand, but, like, just looking at them, they look so much like what you expect them to in the movie. And, like, just the mannerisms, watching them walk around, it's, like, it's so unreal. And, like, your was, face is absolutely perfect. Yeah, the guy who plays Jasper, it's incredible. And we were watching them walk around. Right? They walked into the high school, and we were interviewing someone, and you saw this mob of fangirls Man, run after them. <laughs> we cracked up. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it for yourself. <laughs> yeah, watch their video. So, how did you guys get started doing uh, the parody videos? That's mine. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, we started off about two years ago, and it started off with a contest through AOL asking teens to put out their own idea for a web show. So we entered and came in third place, and through it, we gained fans saying, "Continue with your show." So we continued with the show, and by doing a Twilight parody, the fans are absolutely amazing, and it wouldn't have gotten as big without the fans, so thank you. <laughs> so how did you guys put this all together? Like, the videos look so professional. How do you do, how do you get that all together? Like, your costumes, everything spot on. Well, they've had lots and lots of practice. Yeah. Anna and Hillary here, they've been doing it for a while, so it's mostly you editing and you shooting it. Yeah, we do everything. Editing, directing, wow. uh, casting, screenplay. Yeah, it just, it takes a while. Like, every production takes about two months to put out. But um, we do everything ourselves and we work together as a team. So we were talking to your mom and they said you guys had like, you didn't go to school for acting or anything, but you guys are amazingly on target, all of you. Are just Everything is exactly as it in the movie. Like where did you, do you have any acting experience or was this all kind of natural? <laughs> we have none whatsoever. <laughs> I, I'm the only one who does. I have, I have an associate's degree in theater, so I'm the only one who has like professional training. And I've done like stuff with like my youth groups and just other theater groups around town that I've worked with. So I don't know. I just kind of like acting, but nothing like huge or anything that I've done. Yeah, but the rest of us, we we just pull it out of somewhere yeah. and just do it. <laughs> that was his first acting thing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so how did you guys all find each other? Well, I, I have known uh, Hillary and Hannah my entire life, and uh, I met Drew about a year ago when he was cast in one of their productions. Yeah. I, met the, I met Hannah and Hillary actually when they were doing Sweeney Todd. They needed extras for uh, like background, and a friend of mine is friends with them, and he was going to go do it, and he's like, hey, come on, you should come, it'll be fun, we'll just hang out, and we won't really have to do anything, we can talk the whole time. And I was like, hey, I don't know, this is a really weird web show, they do like Star Wars and stuff. And like, All right, fine. And so I went and I met him, and we had a good time. 
started hanging out. Yeah, I helped them with a couple other shoots. And then I did Terminator with them as Kyle. And yeah. It was, and then it just kind of turned into Jasper. Because they were like, yeah, it worked out. So. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys have like real like casting things to find other the extras and the people in your productions? Yeah. yeah um, on our website, if we need like extras, we put it on like the front page or like in a little tab that says casting call. Send it in. Our website is thehollywoodshow.com. And so people can go there and they can see like if you need to be wearing something when you send in your headshot or what we're looking for. But yeah. It's mostly for extras, not for principal actors, but mostly for extras. Well, thanks, guys. It was really great interviewing you. And um, where should everyone go if they want to see your videos or buy your T-shirts or DVDs? Thehillywoodshow.com. Like Hollywood, but with an I, thehillywoodshow.com. Thank you guys so much. Hey, guys, it's Gail, and we're at Bloodsuckers Prom in Forks. And we're with... Whatever, we're at Forks Prom. And... We are about to introduce you guys to the Bella Colon Project. They're super cool, and they're another vamp rock, what it's called? Um, vamp rock, twi rock, yeah. <laughs> All right, they're another vamp rock or twi rock band, as you guys heard a few episodes ago, episode 12. So here we are. So if you guys want to introduce yourselves. I'm Allie. I'm Tori. And I'm Chandler. And, and we're, we're the Bella Colon Project. This is how musical they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how did you guys become the Bella Colon Project? All right, we just did Okay, so I read, I'm Allie, I read Twilight first, and um, I, like, my English teacher and stuff, people who I thought were, like, good judges of books and stuff had read it, so I was like, maybe, yeah, this, this sounds good, I guess I'll read, I'll read this, and then I, like, fell in love with it, and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous, you guys have to read this, because they were, like, my best friends, and so, <laughs> so <sense>. we, <laughs> yeah, um, me and Chandler were big into Harry Potter, and so, you know, she was talking about it, and I was like, okay, I gotta read this, all I knew it was, it was about vampires, and I was like, oh, it's gonna be some campy, she had to take yeah, pity on me, Dracula, <laughs> and so I read it, and I just do devoured it and I was like you have to give me new moon right now <laughs> and then Chandler um, they talked about it non-stop like they wouldn't shut up so like I felt left out so I had to read it like they forced me not really and um, <laughs> like I'd always been a big fan of wizard rock and you know you know the Remus Lupins Harry and the Potters and yeah. so um, you know we were like well why don't we do that with Twilight you know no one's done that before and you know we we like to write songs we're all kind of musically you know inclined and so we just kind of did it and it just blew up and grew and into something awesome and now we're in forks. <laughs> so what's it like being considered the Harry and the Potters of the Twilight community? Oh god, I haven't I haven't heard that? it put that way. Oh my god. <laughs> That's what I've heard that. Really <laughs> yeah, I've heard that plenty of times. You guys are kind of the beginning of the yeah. Twi-Rock yeah. community. Well, uh, that's just kind of cool because, I mean, Tori listens to them. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, that makes, it's, it's humbling. Like speechless. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, they, I don't want to say they were an inspiration to start it, but they yeah. kind of were because they kind of gave us the idea and stuff. So to be, it's like being compared to a role model, and so yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah, but really. <laughs> are there any musical groups that do inspire you guys, the way you guys sound? Um, um, probably each of us a little bit differently. Individually, yeah. yeah. You um, guys start first. Our, our specialty is being like having like silly campy songs. I mean, we do have our occasional like serious song, but a lot of our songs are really like campy. So there's not a lot of professional bands out there. That's just our own silliness. Yeah. But I mean, of course, we're inspired by like our favorite bands. But yeah. There's tons of those. Ch Chandler, <laughs> Chandler, what would be your favorite band? Oh yes. The Jonas Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Wait, I have to ask. Is the whole L'Oreal thing on purpose how we all have a different color hair? 
No. No. We <laughs> just, I mean, I changed my color hair like yeah. three months. Jillian used to be blonde. She used to be the same color as me, and then she dyed her hair darker, and I dyed mine lighter, and Allie's just... I've never dyed my hair, so. She was bright blonde for a while, so we yeah. were all doing yeah, whole red, brown. <laughs> Till, like, last one. Last month. It was, it's yeah. not even on purpose. It yeah. just happens. Yeah, I actually didn't notice till just now, really. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. Well, okay. when people start approaching you guys about L'Oreal commercials, you yeah. Know, yeah. yeah, you gotta sign yeah. on Or Charlie's Angels. That works, too. Charlie's Angels of Twilight music. Awesome. That's awesome. All right, so we're really excited to see you guys. Oh, I was gonna ask how old are you guys? Oh, okay. I'm 16. I'm 15. I'll be 16 in a couple of days. And I'm 16. All right. So you guys look so much older. I know. You guys are so pretty. So. You look so much older. Yeah, I really do. Well, what's it like being 15 and 16 and like traveling around yeah, doing this yeah. and having those kinds of opportunities? It's crazy. Just because, I mean, all of our friends are like, you're, you're going where? Do you have to pay for this? No. It's so just awesome. It's like we get on a plane, we go places, like none of our friends are doing that. So yeah, it's like. Same. It's like almost the exact same experience as well. You guys are like rock stars. But the worst thing is, it happens like four times in one year like it's not very common I don't want to make this sound like this happens to us every day but um, <laughs> there are people be at our school who know about the band but don't know us and they'll come and be like I love the band and yeah. they'll be like actually somebody one of my friends in my class I didn't know she knew about the band and she complimented me on the CD but she did like incognito she like whispered it into my, into my ear or something because <laughs> she didn't want to make a big deal out of it which yeah. I appreciate and um, and so it took I was, I was like taken aback I was like what are you talking about what yeah. CD did I burn you a CD I had to like think about it for five minutes. Oh, yeah. And then actually, my biology teacher, the first day I walked into my class, she comes up to me, she goes, I know this is weird, but are you from the Bella Cullen Project? <laughs> I was like, yes, straight A's. <laughs> and she did. Straight A's. Well, at least it was worth something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do people recognize you guys on the street ever or anything? Little girls? Occasionally, but very rare. Yeah. I mean, she got recognized in Guitar Center once. Yeah. That's so and, cool. And I mean, wow. we get recognized in the hallways sometimes at school. Oh, yeah. Judy asks us, where are you guys from? Uh, Dallas, uh, suburb of Dallas. We're in from Arlington, Texas. Oh, right. you don't have accents at all. Thanks. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Well, you. Well, sometimes we do. Yeah. Have you it's ever gotten fun. any like special recognition within your school? Like, uh, we were in, we were in the newspaper twice, yeah. and yeah. then they did actually there was like a Harry Potter band in our school, so they did like a little thing about them and mentioned us, and it was cool. Um, <laughs> Anyone big? Um, I I can't actually remember their names, so probably not. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. I think so. We <laughs> were big um, Harry Potter oh, music yeah. fans too. Yeah. yeah. So, so, who's everyone's favorite Twilight character? Um, okay, I'll, I'll go first. Okay, I don't know if he's like technically my t favorite Twilight character. I'm not a big favorite person, but he's like my favorite vampire boy is Jasper. Same. <laughs> yeah. I love Carlisle. <laughs> Have you seen Carlisle walking around? He, yes, he's here. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, when I met, when we met. Um, at Peter? the San Francisco convention, we met Peter Freshnelli, and I was like, "We do a fun Peter story." Which one are you go? I'm a Jacob girl. Nice. <laughs> I'm so a dog lover. They're few and far between. <laughs> I would, I would say they're few and far between. Yeah. Everybody's like, "Oh, no, no. like me." There's a lot of Taylor Lautner girls. Yeah. <laughs> like me. <laughs> Who doesn't love him? Yeah. Like when there's a picture of him, I'm just like. When he uh, turned into a uh, ball. Have you seen yeah. the trailer? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I collapsed. No, I didn't. I Don't we melted a little. I almost did. A little on the inside. Just a little. 
right. All right. So I guess we had enough rambling. Do, do, do you guys have a website or anything, or do people just look oh, you up yeah. on iTunes yeah. and yeah. CDs to buy? Feel free to yeah. promote yourself. Okay. Let's plug. We have all of our plugs. TheBellyCullenProject.com. We have MySpace.com/slash TheBellyCullenProject. We have a Facebook. It's kind of hard to find, but if you if you like search us, <laughs> it's there. So we, have, we have an old CD, and it's self-titled. And then our new CD, Tick Tick Tick, came out today, right now. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's in the back. But tonight. unfortunately, um, the people were supposed to like FedEx it here, and they didn't get done with the up. jewel cases, so oh, they're no. in paper sleeves, and we're like, oh crap. That's kind. Yeah, gotta do what so, you gotta but do. But we're gonna like, be like, you know. But we're you gonna... get a discount today. Yeah. So. So. That's are fine. you guys? Do you guys self-record, or do you have a recording contract? Um, it used to be. We don't have a contract. No, yeah. we 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 go to recording studios and we yeah. pay them, and we're just like, okay, we're, we're gonna like, play, put this do out, this. and that'll be it. Like yeah. we're not signed to a certain label or anything. We do it all on our own. All right. Yeah. Are you guys done plugging? I think yes. so. I think we're good. All right. So <laughs> this is Bloodsuckers, and that was Bella Colon Project, and we'll see you later. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, hey guys, it's Maddie, and I am here with a very special guest. They can't see you waving. <laughs> I am um, here with John Granger, who just gave us an amazing two and a half hour lecture. And I'm gonna have him. <laughs> I'm gonna have him introduce himself. So, John, tell us a little bit about what you do. Thank you, Maddie. <laughs> I'm waving everybody. Wave back. I, I, I am, I am uh, John Granger, the Hogwarts professor. You can read my stuff at hogwartsprofessor.com or at the brand new forkshighschoolprofessor.com, which is fhsprofessor.com. And I write books about what books mean and why we love them so that we can have a more profound experience of them. So I, I'm known as the Harry Potter guy because I've written about the keys that unlock Harry Potter, the, the postmodern themes, the literary alchemy, the narrative misdirection. If you've read my books, you know what there's about. Books, for example, the book Penguin's publishing next week is called Harry Potter's Bookshelf, which explains Harry Potter in the context of English literature and the four layers of meaning. You can't see them, but they're all nodding their heads because I just talked for an hour about that. Anyway, um, that uh, what I'm doing now is talking about the Twilight books because um, well, that's, that's probably your next question, isn't it? I'm, I'm, writing, I'm writing a book called uh, Spotlight, a close-up look at the artistry and meaning of Stephanie Meyer's Twilight novels, um, Twilight Saga. And um, that's what I do. That's who I am. That's what I do. Is that enough? That's that good. is perfect. That's good. So don't worry, guys. We're not just giving you another Harry Potter episode. Promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so what brought, obviously, you're here at a Twilight convention. What brought your attention to Twilight? Uh, interesting, a, a, a devout, a very good friend of mine who is a sincere and profound Harry Potter reader named Anne Laurel Nickel, for the last three years has been writing me saying, John, have you read the Twilight books? John, what do you think of the Twilight books? And Anne Laurel and I are good friends, and I'm thinking, vampire romance. <laughs> um, life is too short for young adult romance fiction with vampires in it. I'm not going there. Um, and I had all the Harry Potter books I was working on and, and fan cons, this and that. Finally, though, Ann Laurel says, John, I'm doing this thing in Forks, Washington. If you want to come and speak, and I want you to come and speak, you've got to read these books and tell me what you think. And I'm thinking, this poor woman, I'm going to read these books, or just the first one, and I'm going to have to say to her, no. There's nothing there. Why would I want to travel to Forks of all places, the edge of the earth, to talk about these books? And you know the rest of the story. I read the first book. Um, 
and am astonished at the artistry and the experience that I had while reading it. Um, and specifically, well, I mean, the, the spiritual elements of it, which come through the author's faith, whatever. So I'm, I'm reading this book thinking, this is a wow. And, and as a Harry Potter guy, what I'm astonished at as I read this is one, not only my reversing of feel, which is the same thing I did with Harry Potter. I read Harry Potter the first time so my, I could explain to my daughter why we don't read trash like this. <laughs> I, I, I read uh, Twilight for largely the same reason, so I could explain to my good friend why I'm not gonna bother trying to explain this, you know, you know, uh, superficial literary experience. I see myself turned over again and I look at the critical response to Twilight and I see the exact same thing that I saw when I first got involved with Harry Potter. That critics were panning it, saying it was a tired genre, it was just another schoolboy novel with magic into it or whatever. When I read this criticism of Stephanie Meyer, I see the same thing. People like Stephen King saying it's trash, it's like Harold Bloom saying that Harry Potter was slop. Um, it's because it's, it's a genre reaction. And I realized that the people were having this response because they're not getting past the surface meaning. They weren't able to get to the moral meaning, the allegorical meaning, the anagogical meaning, because they were stuck at the surface. All of those other meanings have to come through the surface, and if you gag on the surface, you're not gonna get those other more profound meanings. Those people who don't gag at the surface, who love young adult romance fiction, they get all the other things, and they have a Harry Potter-like experience where they bond with the, the hero, the heroine of the book, and they, as that person goes through changes, makes choices and goes through changes, the reader goes through those changes and has this profound experience. Um, I had the same thing when I read, read Twilight. I thought, wow, this is another avenue in which I can explain to people what books do, what reading, how reading works, and why great stories are great. Why they, why they, why they touch us in our heart, why they resonate within us, and we want to go back again and again and again. Cool. <laughs> All right. So obviously, you're the Harry Potter guy. You know better than anyone how many layers there are to the Harry Potter books. And you've written tons of books <laughs> uh, exploring everything possible. Just, um, just four, actually. Not, not tons. tons. <laughs> tons. It looks like tons when it's stacked up next to me. <laughs> so what, um, how would you, if you could kind of give us a couple minute summary of your hour talk. How would you say that Twilight is layered sim similarly to the Harry Potter books? Okay. <laughs> wow, that is, that is, that is huge. Okay. Yeah. We need a really big fire hose okay. this time. Really, <laughs> I want to give you, instead of giving you the, the review of the talk I just gave, I want to give you a preview of the talk I'm giving tomorrow. Ooh, there you go. Okay. Okay. That, Bloodsuckers exclusive. <laughs> Bloodsuckers. Unbelievable. Okay. Um, the, the question I try to answer with both Harry Potter and Twilight is why are these books so popular? What, you know, what makes people obsess about these books and reread them again and again? Not just once, but again and again and again. What makes them fight about Jacob versus Edward versus what? Chief Swan? Yeah. <laughs> scary. Yeah. That's Swan. Chief. Guy's got a gun. Powell. Powell. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. Scary. Um, anyway. Um, the answer to that is um, really, I think, comes from a man named Mercy Iliadi, who's a very famous professor of religion, uh, now deceased, of course, uh, who wrote a book called The Sacred and the Profane. And in it, really as an aside, Iliadi is famous for his most profound work, is in his footnotes and his asides. He says that all entertainment is uh, basic, serves a, a religious or a mythic function inside a secular culture. If you take God outside of the public square, so the people's hearts really have no, no, nothing to focus on, no, no place to be receptive to the graces from God, 
they'll turn to their entertainments instead. That basically, that, when they suspend their disbelief, they'll throw off their ego persona, their mask, and this person inside them, this eye of the heart, will have an experience of something transcendent in their entertainments. That's story. That's the power of story and parable. In a secular culture, these entertainments take on a much larger meaning than they would in a traditional culture that had you know, liturgical sacraments and religious ceremonies and all these things where that, that kind of faculty is nourished. In our culture, we're basically, we live in an atheistic culture with, with religion on the periphery. Um, our entertainments have the huge place that they do because it's the only place that we really have a spiritual um, relationship with, with reality. We, we, we see things as they are only in story. Now, how does this work with Twilight? How, I mean, how does that work with Twilight? Well, in Twilight, you have the surface story, which is about a young girl that moves from Phoenix, um, and, she, and she comes to Forks of all places. Then she returns to Phoenix again. You have a hero's journey. And the surface story, the elements of the surface story are the, this is the review part you got, right? Um, of the voice that the author chooses, the drive that, that makes you keep turning pages, and the setting that is the core genre, that the traditions in which she writes. And those are the decisions you make when you, when you decide you're going to write any kind of story. Um, and that, the whole point of those surface choices about that surface story are to engage the reader and to really hook them in so that you will suspend your disbelief. You'll put aside your skeptical self and you'll enter into the story not as Alexa Ray or whatever. You'll, you'll come into the story as, you know, uh, just as the hero in the story. You'll become the hero or the heroine. And when you enter that story, then you're opened up to the moral meaning, the allegorical meaning, and the anagogical or mythic meaning. Now, the moral meaning just bleeds right through. It's like Aesop's fables. It's, it's what the person wants you to get out of the book. Um, and it's, it's who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And who, who am I going to be like and who am I not going to be like? And when you read Twilight, you know you want to be like the vegetarian vampires, right? Because they have conscience and they choose these things. And they're beautiful and they're immortal and you want to be like them. You want to, you want to die to yourself go through this purgatory. Both, both um, um, Bella and Edward describe their life in the high school as a purgatory, as a hell that they're going through or whatever. And that, that, that hell that they're going through is in order that they can come to this heaven, this realization. And that moral, and the bad guys, who are the bad guys? The Volturi, just like the Death Eaters. They're the powerful authorities that are only in the thing for power. Nothing about truth or beauty or justice in their world. They're the bad guys. Um, and you want to be not like them. All right? Or, or just, just, just even just the meat-eating vampires. The people are just about you know, using people as food. That's about as low as you can get in how you use and manipulate people or whatever. Thinking of them as food, that, that's pretty gross. <laughs> you don't want to be like them. And you don't want to be zombies either, people that live without God. And that's, and that's the moral meaning is you want to have, make the right choices so that you're not prejudiced. And that's the whole postmodern themes stuff. That they're all nodding their, people are nodding their heads, I hope. Nod your heads, nod your heads. You were, you were at my talk. Good, okay. Good. Oh. Yep, we were there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that opens you up to the allegorical meaning. And the allegorical meaning is the point-to-point -point correspondence between the story and either real-world reference or supernatural reference. Just like uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you've got Mr. Worldly Wise Man, who's like the, you know, the TV newsman talking head figure or whatever. I mean, he's, and, and he's called Mr. Worldly Wise Man because you're supposed to see him as this know-it-all guy who's going to distract you from the spiritual path. That's how he works in Pilgrim's Progress. Well, these allegorical figures work the same way in Twilight. Where, um, the, the core allegory of the book, and I'm skipping over the satire and the zombie element and the Latter-day Saint stuff, but the core spiritual allegory of the book, which is his heart, is that Edward is God, that he is 
um, or more specifically, he's the mind of Christ. That's why he knows everybody's mind. He, he, he's totally the Logos figure of the book in that he can see everybody's mind because he has some sympathy or resonance with the mind which we all share, which is the Logos, you know, the, the, um, the heart knowledge, okay? Now, Logos, logos no, no, is logic. No, it was a thing, and the guy wrote it, and it was like we're all connected. And man is an uh, island, um, and oh, who was that? John Donne. Yes. yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you are. We should be together all the time. <laughs> I'm the lit geek. <laughs> She's the one who can tell you who Og is at your thing. That's yeah, right. You guys right, can hang right. out. Oh. <laughs> it's a good thing the chaperone is here, right? <laughs> <laughs> the old guy vampire here, the young girl. Um, you're supposed to say, yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. I'm right here. That's right. <laughs> um, Edward, is, Edward is God, and he loves man. He loves Bella, the beautiful swan is what her name means. But when she comes into the story, she's a klutz, ugly duckling. Right? But he recognizes her as basically the end of his life. And God loves man in the same way. God, he wants to love man totally and take man totally into himself. But if he did, he would destroy man's free will and his integrity. And he doesn't want to eat man, in other words, right? He wants to respect man as he is so that man can choose to come to him as he is. And that's Bella's desire to be totally taken in to Edward, right? It's, it's man's longing for God. It's this heart, I mean, in, in New Moon, where she has this hole in her heart, in her chest, this cavity. I mean, she talks about it 50 times in that book. That, that, that hole in the chest is St. Augustine's you know, the, the, the God-shaped hole in your heart. Um, that, that echoes all through things like Pascal and other things, but that, that God-shaped hole in your heart is what Bella finds with Edward. When Edward is removed, of course, her whole life is shattered. It's like the principle, been, like the, 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 the spine has been pulled out of her body and she just collapses into a little ball. Um, that um, allegory works throughout all the books where Bella has to make her choice to love God and to, to do anything, to sacrifice herself entirely to be closer to God. When God disappears, you know, she, yes, she'll have some relationship with man, but it's always only in the shadow of her love for God. When God returns, forget Jacob. You know, whoop, you know, he's a nice guy. I love him dearly. He's like my brother, whatever. But really, my relationship is with God, and, and there's nothing else can touch this. And that brings us to the anagogical meaning. And the anagogical meaning, or the mythic meaning, is where we get into um, really the intuitive and or, or intellective or noetic faculty, the, your cardiac intelligence. And this is something that almost nobody experiences consciously when they read a story, but it's, it's the part of the story that you're immersed in, and by your identification with a character, you become that reality. Um, and, and there's three parts that are really obvious about the thing. I just said it wasn't obvious, now I said it's obvious. <laughs> the three most evident parts of this in the story are the hero's journey, um, where we see, you know, circles play a huge part in um, Twilight, specifically the, the, the perfectly round meadow, the Volturi room in the castle, the, uh, everything, to include the, the small pond at the, at the cottage, the, the locket that she gives her daughter is described as perfectly round, whatever. These, she always folds into a ball or whatever. These refer back to the symbolism of the circle and the hero's journey, where the, the center of the circle is really the cause of the circle, which stands for all reality. And so the hero's journey being circular means once you complete the journey, you go phoenix to phoenix, you become the center, you become this, you've sacrificed yourself and you become this greater reality. You have an experience of the transcendent. That's pretty heady. Um, the alchemical one is also pretty heady. 
Um, you really need to buy my book, right? You need to buy, buy Spotlight. You know, this is good. It's all, it's all in Spotlight, or it will be in September. Um, that, that, the alchemical change is I identify with the hero or the heroine, and as this hero or heroine goes through this transforming process, I turn from lead to gold. And this is laced throughout uh, Meyer's work in uh, the stories that she chooses for her story scaffolding are largely Shakespearean, which are alchemical dramas and specific notes about the alchemical stuff that Edward's eyes always turn from black to gold um, is a reference to the lead to gold imagery. Basically, he's becoming illuminated and spiritual. That's why he no longer wants to eat her and devour her. He's become this more divine aspect. Um, and that's what she wants. She doesn't want to be the red-eyed vampire, you know, the nasty demon type, you know, people are food vampire. She wants to become this divine vegetarian thing that, that wants this respectful relationship with human beings. And then the last one is the eyes. I've talked a little bit about the eyes, but um, really the power of the eyes in uh, Twilight is in um, vision. That the mind, we've already talked about Edward as being this divine mind, but all of the special powers are about vision. Um, all of the things that happen inside, like, like the first chapter of Twilight is first sight. And it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a pointer to the LDS first vision that Joseph Smith has in the forest where he sees God the Father and God the Son. But she sees the um, Cohen family and recognizes them as these divinities and that she has to have some relationship and she loves them immediately. Everything about that afterwards is just about her choice. You know, she recognizes them for what they are. She finds out that they're vampires. There's these immortal creatures, and she has to make a choice. Now that I know this is true, what now must I do consequent to that? She sees what is real. For example, there's a chapter in Twilight called Phenomena, where, and, and that's the chapter in which she's almost killed by the van. All right? We have an event, and she sees what happens. Edward comes all the way across the parking lot in an impossibly you know, short time, and isn't crushed by this thing, picks up the van, swoops her legs, there's all these things that are absolutely impossible, and she has this vision. She sees it. She has an empirical experience of this thing. She knows that he's a superhero, larger-than-life type of character, and yet he tells her, deny it. Don't think that what you see is real. And when she, she cannot make that choice. She knows in her heart that what she saw was real. Not just that she's talking about her physical eyes here, but she's talking about all of us and our spiritual experience that we can see in phenomena that there's a larger reality that gives it its existence. And we know there must be some larger existence or these things wouldn't be here. I know that I'm not causing this table to be here, right? I, don't, I know that I'm not causing me to be here. So I know in phenomena that there's a greater reality and I can see it, I can sense it. What do I do with that knowledge? I have to choose to believe it because the world will tell me there's nothing, there's nothing behind or beneath or within that surface. I have to be able to see it. I have to be, and all the other characters are about vision. It's Carlyle's vision that all those people are, uh, all the Coens are obedient to. They call it his vision. Um, Alice has her visions about the thing. Bella throughout the books has her dreams and visions or whatever. All these things are her way of penetrating the surface and getting to this a mind which is beneath all things. It's why the wolf pack is able to speak to each other with this common mind. It's, it's like what C.S. Lewis says after Owen Barfield and, and ultimately Coleridge. 
is that the universe is mental, okay? That your conscience is continuous with the fabric of reality. That, that, that when you say the universe is mental, that this mind that we have, this I, capital I, not E-Y-E, this I that we have is common to every one of us. I is a weird word, right? In that it has the same, it's the same word, capital I, and yet it has an indefinite number of reference and nobody gets confused. If I said there, if I said there's a word that stands for eggplant, elevator, and elephant, you would say that's a lousy word, right? Because I don't know you're talking about eggplants or elevators or elephants. Um, and that's, you know, if I make an eggplant pie and you bring an elephant in, you know, this is, this is confusing. Right? But if I say I, nobody gets confused. And yet if you say I, I don't think, why is she talking about me, right? I has an indefinite number of reference. C.S. Lewis calls I a sacred name because it's this I that we have in common. It's our conscience that looks down on us. It's not us. It tells us we're doing something right or wrong. Right? And we all have that same conscience. And Lewis says, this is the fabric of reality. This is how we know all things in reflection and recognition. I know you and you can know me because our shared logos, I, recognizes itself like a mirror in which subject and object just disappear. That's why the mirrors are in the scene at the end of Twilight. That's why she has to be, have her final confrontation in front of the mirrors where all of her ideas of self will dissolve. Now, that anagogical meaning we get through the wolf pack where they all have a shared mind. We get it through Edward's experience because he can constantly see inside people's minds. Um, we can see it through Alice's mind because she can see the whole fabric of reality and how it bends and twists in terms of people's choices and their mental decisions. Right? This is the backdrop to everything that Meyer is after is to give us some experience of this conscience, this mind, which is what's most real. This is the transcendent other that's beneath and behind and within. It's the inside bigger than the outside. To use C.S. Lewis language, and Rowling does that a lot too, you know, Hermione's bag, that's a U-Haul truck inside or whatever. I mean, that, I mean, that, that's the inside bigger than the outside. There's a requirement that gets bigger and bigger until it's bigger than Hogwarts. And that's the inside bigger than the outside, which is this transcendent reality that's continuous with our mind. The wardrobe, it's everywhere. That's right, it's right okay? Now that, that experience is the largest experience and it's what people's hearts resonate with when they read these books. It's about the human being's love for this other, this reality, which is common to all of us, right? And that we can have some communion and relationship with and keep our own integrity. You know, we can be totally, this, this, this mind is totally other and yet closer to us than our own breath, right? This conscience, it's not us at all. It's totally other and yet we can't imagine life without it. That's what these books are about in that experience. It's a spiritual experience in a culture where all of these things are denied. I mean, we live in a culture which is about naturalism, which is about matter and energy being the only things which are real. I Meaning basically only the surfaces that I can measure are objective knowledge. Everything else is subjective knowledge and delusion. Right? We live in a culture which denies this religious reality, but we experience it in story. Through these, all of these topics, and themes and images that the best writers in the English tradition after Coleridge bring into it. And Meyer, though she's an entirely different writer, writing different genres, different approach, um, different methods and sequence of how she's her novels, which I explained, you know, the spiral versus the rock in the pond, um, she arrives at the same place and the reader arrives at the same place as the Harry Potter reader does. Yes, I think Rowling is, is, is the more systematic and um, 
gives the the because she's also writing a comic children's book or whatever this this comic thing even lowers your guard the more so you enter into the story even more there's much more comedy in harry potter than there is in um the twilight saga but where they take you if you buy the surface story if you buy the young adult romance with vampires and you enter into that story you will come to the same profound experience that you do in harry potter the schoolboy novel with the uh, you know, the magic and the wands thrown in on top of it. Um, that's why I'm writing this book. That's why I'm writing about uh, Twilight and why we love these stories. Because it's a great introduction to the four levels of meaning and why we read um, how the great artists do what they do. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of an answer. <laughs> So, <laughs> with all those symbols and allegories, what do you say to someone who goes to you and says, oh, Twilight's just a teen romance novel? Say, um, you need to buy John Granger's books. <laughs> John Granger's books are so good, and they'll explain to you all, this new, all the things that you're meaning because you're so stupid, you know? <laughs> now, now, what you need to say is, um, you're stuck at the surface level of these stories, which is a shame because... If you could embrace the surface level of the story, which, yeah, is, is a teen romance. If you could embrace the teen romance of the story, you would experience story at its most profound inside these books. But as clearly, you're not that person and you don't like teen romance, these books are lost on you. And I'm sorry, I feel bad for you. But, um, oh well. Uh, because there's really nothing you can do. If the person rejects the surface, re rejects the core genre of the medium, then there's no way you can get to them. I mean, Stephen King likes Harry Potter, because Joanne Rowling is writing these schoolboy novels that are just, she, he loves them, they're great. But Harlequin, teen romance? No, he, uh, to him, Stephanie, he says Stephanie Meyer is, you know, is, is not a right. Um, she's no good. That, why, is, why, is, why does Stephen King, who's a horror genre writer, you know, who's made himself into some sort of uh, maven of literature, why does he reject this genre and accept this genre? This simple prejudice for genres. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't take teen romance seriously. So he misses all the artistry at the moral, allegorical, anagogical levels. Um, he doesn't have that experience. And not having that experience, she's a bad writer. Right? But that's not the writer's fault, other than the fact that she chose this genre. She knew she was going to have people that weren't going to read a teen romance. Duh. Um, but those who do, who enter into it, most profoundly, male and female of all ages, and obviously... This is not just a teen girl phenomenon. When people talk about this, it's, oh, this, is, this is just tweeny stuff. Um, there's no way this woman has sold 40 million books around the world, 500-page novels. Um, they, 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 you put all these books into a backpack, and I have and walk around with it? I mean, you're, you're going to throw your back out. It's a big <laughs> book. Okay. There's no way this is just a tweeny phenomenon. There are guys who are reading these books everywhere. There are older women who are reading these books. Because of the artistry and the engagement, you have that experience, that's what you want. And you go back again and again and again. That's what you say to that person. All right. All right. Write it down. Write that card. down. <laughs> All right. So one more time. Just, just read John Granger's books. Now, my book on Twilight is not published yet. It should be out in September or October. It's called Spotlight, a close-up look at the artistry and meaning of Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. There's a mouthful. It's a spotlight. Um, and the Harry Potter book that my most recent one is called Harry Potter's Bookshelf and it's published by um, Penguin and it's coming out July 7th and if you want a book right now you can go on these the subjects of the four layers of meaning especially the eye imagery inside Harry Potter because of the, because of the big five eyeballs in Deathly Hallows it really turns on that and Harry has the eye 
Rowling has said it's the key to the whole series. That's discussed in the Deathly Hallows Lectures, which is my book on Harry Potter's finale. <laughs> and it's great, right? Wait, so is this one of the ones coming out soon? This is, that, that's not available. That's only available where I speak. But you said you were cutting it down. No, no, the only book that's available, this, this is only that's available where I speak. That's going to become Harry Potter's bookshelf. Harry okay. Potter, yes, Harry that Potter, is going to be Potter's, the one. Harry Potter's bookshelf is the book that you can order online or in bookstores. Okay. None of the people listening to this podcast can get the book that you guys can get. Woo! Woo. <laughs> so that's the one that's going to be available soon, the Harry Potter's bookshelf. Harry Potter's bookshelf. Okay. okay. Penguin, available everywhere, <laughs> online. And we, we'll link you all to his website and where to buy his books from oh, it's, it's on got, our website. That's what I got to say. My Harry Potter website is HogwartsProfessor.com and my Twilight website is FHS for Forks High School Professor.com. And it'll all be in the description of the show for you guys, so you guys can just click on it. Yay! We'll get you guys right there. <laughs> How this magical! Is, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking Thank to you. us. Thank you. Potterdelphia. Yay, Thank you. Yay, Potterdelphia! Thank you. All right, so we'll talk to you guys all later. Probably and thank you so video. much again to, <laughs> to John Granger for talking to us. And that's it. Bye. 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 B